Thanks, Chad. Uh, I think Chad is this morning as he does most every Sunday, I would say. He's prepared us uh, to hear from God's Word. He's prepared us for what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, I think our hearts are prepared. Now I'm just going to warn you. Uh, you need to wake up this morning because your minds are going to need to be active today. The stuff we're going to be talking about today, it's, it's pretty deep. It's pretty rich. It's full. And you're going to need to pay attention uh, if you want to get what the Word of God says is saying to us today. I want to thank Jim for uh, filling in while I was on vacation for the past two weeks. He spoke about revival. He spoke about a deeper life with the Lord. And we're going to touch on some of those same themes uh, today and in weeks to come as we continue our journey through the book of Romans. When we get to chapter 6, we'll explore this concept of, of sanctification uh, that Jim spoke about. But today, what we're looking at is really uh, the start, the entry point to this deeper life with the Lord. So thanks, Jim, for introducing these concepts that we'll be looking at over the next uh, many weeks. Uh, so, so yes, so I was on vacation. Now, I said I was on vacation, but I really was on two different vacations. They were like night and day. Uh, it was sort of like the bad news and then the good news. The first week was the bad news. I'm so glad my wife's working in preschool today, so she's not going to hear this. <laughs> it was more of an obligation than a vacation. Christina and I, along with our adult children and their spouses, drove uh, from Riverside to McCook, Nebraska for my wife's uh, family reunion. Now, I don't want to complain. Well, actually, I do. Let me just be... But because, because when the highlight of the vacation is eating pizza with sauerkraut, playing in a beer-slash-water pong tournament... And visiting uh, uh, the cemetery where your wife's dead relatives are buried. Uh, some on the Protestant side and some on the Catholic side, one of those cemeteries. Then I believe I have a right for, to express just some, a little bit di- disappointment. Amen? All right, thanks. But then came the second week of vacation, okay? My wife made it up to me. The good news is that after returning from Nebraska... I got to spend five wonderful days alone with Christina in in San Diego, California. We enjoyed great weather. We enjoyed a hotel by the bay, good food, several fun activities, kayaking in La Jolla Bay, parasailing. If you want to see the video, just let me know. I have the parasailing video. That second week of vacation completely made up for that first week of obligation. In fact, I would say having to go through Nebraska made me truly appreciate San Diego. And that, I believe, or that, believe it or not, brings us to our passage for today. Because if you've been with us through our Roman series, then you know that in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, we've talked about this over and over, 74 verses. Paul has made it clear that every, every human being, without distinction, is subject to the wrath of God. 
that we will all face God's wrath, God's holy, righteous anger, because of, as Paul says in Romans 3, 9 and 10, this is a summary, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. This, like my first week of vacation in Nebraska, was the bad news. And maybe, as we spent many weeks in this section of Romans, Chapter 1, 18 through 320, uh, you've been asking yourself, why so much bad news? Why did he have to pile it on over and over again? Couldn't he just have said, okay, you're all sinful, let's move to the gospel? And I think at least one answer why he spent, we spent so much time in that and why Paul spends so much time uh, showing our unrighteousness is that we will fully appreciate the good news that's to come. Paul's been focusing on the wrath of God and the unrighteousness of humanity, but beginning in Romans 3.21, his focus shifts dramatically. It shifts to the good news. It shifts to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is even better than a vacation in San Diego. And it makes up for the bad news we faced over the past many weeks. Beginning in Romans 3.21, Paul returns to the theme of the book. The theme that he introduced in chapter 1, verses 16 and uh, 17. Remember, uh, right before he began to show the unrighteousness of humanity, he wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is, the gospel is, the righteousness of God, for in it... The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it was like Paul is teasing the gospel. He's just uh, getting, wetting your whistle. And then he moves into this uh, long teaching on our unrighteousness. But now he returns he says, it, he, he says in, the, in the introduction, it's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And in the gospel, in the gospel, and you know, this is interesting. You might think, if I was writing about uh, the gospel, I might say, in the gospel, the love of God is revealed, right? But Paul says, the righteousness of God is revealed. I think we need to understand that ri- how important righteousness is to God. And we'll see that as we move, move forward. The righteousness of God is revealed to those who have faith. The gospel involves the righteousness of God. God's righteousness and our righteousness. Our unrighteousness becoming righteousness. And now in, in Romans 3.21, he comes back to that gospel message that he summarized. He expands upon and explains the truth that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to those who have faith. And so today, as we look at Romans 3, 21 through 26, which has been called the greatest paragraph in the Bible, it's a lot of responsibility, right, to talk about the greatest paragraph in the Bible. I want us to remember uh, from whence we came. You know, if you've been with us through the past number of weeks, you can't forget uh, over and over Paul driving home our unrighteousness. But maybe you're visiting today or maybe you've missed a lot of that. But, But we need to remember from whence we came. Remember not only the unrighteousness of all humanity, 
but our own personal unrighteousness, our own personal sin, and how it rightly leads to the wrath of God. We need to remember the bad news so we can fully appreciate, so we can worship and rejoice in, so we can fall on our face before the glorious God that provides the good news of the gospel. And in the good news, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to those who have faith. The first question, and the first question Paul answers in our passage, is when is God's righteousness revealed? When is it revealed? You could also say, when is the gospel revealed? When is the gospel manifested? Paul's just concluded, as we've said, the 74 verse long section on human unrighteousness. And in the final verse, Romans 3.20, he writes, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his in God's sight. Paul ends the section on human unrighteousness by making it clear that our justification, our salvation, will not come through the law. Why? Anybody remember? Why can't the law save us? Because it was weakened by the flesh. Because we all sinned. Because we all uh, don't keep the law. No one keeps the law. All are under sin. No one is righteous. And at, and at that point, we're left to wonder, uh, then how can we be saved? How can anyone be justified? How can anyone be made right before God? And so Paul answers that question. Beginning in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, beginning with the when, he writes in verses 21 and 22, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Let's walk through this. He says, but now. This is the, the, the shift. This is the woohoo moment. <laughs> this is the signal that a major shift is taking place from the bad news to the good news, from God's wrath to our redemption. We, on our own, because of our unrighteousness, have no hope of escaping the wrath of God. But now, but now, Jesus Christ has come. Jesus has changed everything. Jesus has changed everything for those who have faith in Him. He says, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That phrase, that phrase that we'll, we'll see again and again, we'll talk about the righteousness of God. God's righteousness really means two things, okay? First, it means God's righteousness. The, that God is righteous, that He is pure and holy and true and just and right. Everything He does and He says and He feels is right. He is the standard of righteousness, He's the definition of what it means to be right and true and just. So the righteousness of God first refers to God's righteous character, who God is. But it also refers to our uh, righteousness before God. Our right standing before God. Or the righteousness, the, the purity or holiness and justification that God provides to us. It refers to God's provision of righteousness. The righteousness that He gives to those who put their faith in Him. Because of our sin, we're not, are not, and cannot be righteous before God uh, through our own efforts. 
through keeping the law or through anything else. It's impossible. And Paul is saying that now, our right standing, our righteousness before a righteous God is manifested apart from the law. That word manifested means to to show forth, to reveal, to make known. So, So it's a new day. Our righteousness before God has been revealed apart from the law. But that's not to say that the law didn't didn't speak of the revelation of God's righteousness. The, the law had a lot to say about God's righteousness. Paul continues, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets, the, the Old Testament, bear witness to the righteousness of God. The Old Testament, it testifies and it prophesies about what's to come. How one day, unrighteous humanity could be made righteous before a righteous God. If you were with us uh, last year in our series through redemptive history, 52 weeks, we walked through the Bible, a lot of which was the Old Testament, and we saw that it was filled with, with prophecy, it was filled with pictures, it was filled with teaching, all pointing to a specific point in history, to a specific person in history, a point when God would send a Savior, the Messiah. One clear example of this found in Isaiah 53.11. Isaiah 53, the whole chapter is filled with it, but it's this one verse. It says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The Old Testament, over and over, pointed to one who would, who would come to bear our iniquities, who would pay for our sin. And in doing that, he would make many to be accounted righteous. And and Paul says, now that one has arrived, the time is now to receive. To receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He continues. Jesus has come to bear our iniquities and to provide us with God's righteousness. Through faith in Christ, our ability to be made right with God is now. So when was God's righteousness revealed? When was the gospel revealed? It was historically revealed uh, over 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross to bear our iniquities, to make us righteous before God. But it is also continually revealed when anyone puts their faith in Christ. If you today, if you today trust in Christ, He will bear your iniquities. And God's righteousness will be revealed in your life. You will be made right before God through Jesus Christ. And the question is, the question is, how is this possible? How can an unrighteous human being, you and me, everyone, all humanity, Paul has said, Jews and Gentiles, how can we be made righteous before a holy God? It's our second point. How does God provide Righteousness. How does God provide our righteousness? Or we could say, how does the gospel work? How does it reveal the righteousness of God in our lives? Now, Paul has already said that the righteousness of God is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that shortly. And we'll talk more about that next week. But the question is how? How does putting your faith in Christ How does believing in Christ reveal the righteousness of God? 
Or how does as putting your faith in Christ provide for your righteousness? How does it make you right with God? Just putting your faith in, 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 in something else or someone else. That's what Paul explains in verses 24 and 25. And we'll get to that. But first, at the end of 22, and then verse 23, very famous verse in Romans and in the Bible, he reminds us, you know, it's like, you just gave us 74 verses. Why do you need to tell us again? But he does. He reminds us why we need the provision of righteousness. He says, for there is no distinction, all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't forget what, I just, what I've just been telling you, that both Jews and Gentiles, there's no distinction that all humanity has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We always, uh, when I, this, this verse, you always hear about that word sin means, it's a, from archery, it means miss the mark. But you know what? It really means just disobeying God, not doing what God wants, missing the mark that God says for you. Uh, that word uh, falling short, though, literally means uh, lacking. All have sinned and lack the glory of God. Remember, we were created... We've talked about this. That's why the first part of our mission statement is to glorify God. We, humanity, were created to glorify God. That's it. But remember in Romans chapter 1, we saw we've rejected God. We've rejected His purpose for our life. We've exchanged the glory of God. We've exchanged God's glory in our life for something else for images, for idols, for ourselves. We've rejected God and replaced Him with something or someone else. And this is the very heart of sin. Sin is rejecting. Sin is dishonoring. Sin is not glorifying God as He deserves to be glorified. Not making God the center of our lives. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about loving God and how it means putting God at the center of your universe. Making God your Son. S-U-N. And when we don't do that, when we don't glorify God, that is the height of sinfulness. We sin. We do not fulfill our purpose of bringing glory to God. And therefore, in ourselves, we have no ability to be righteous before God. And remember, Paul made it clear. I don't know if this is the last time I'm going to come to this verse, but we've seen it many times. He said in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In our state of unrighteousness, the only thing that will be revealed to us, the only thing that we will receive is the wrath of God, not the righteousness of God. So so how is it possible for God's righteousness to be revealed to an unrighteous people? How will God's righteousness be revealed in, in my life and in your life? How will God provide us with righteousness? That's the question Paul answers in verses 24, 25, 26. First, he says righteousness is provided by God's grace. Paul's reminded us that we are sinners, that we fall short of God's glory. But praise the Lord, that's not the end of the story. 
Verse 24 begins, and are justified. There's three words, three key words we're going to see in these couple verses. And if you're keeping notes, if you're underwriting, that, that is the first one there, justified. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. I guess grace is another key word, so maybe four key words. Well, we're going to come, maybe five. Okay, whatever, you'll see. Grace, grace. is one of, if not the most important word in the letters of Paul. He uses it 95 times. Grace means a, a, literally unmerited favor. It's all about what God does for you. Not because of, but actually in spite of who you are. In spite of what you do. Someone described grace this way. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that is a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that is a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserve no award, yet receives such a gift anyway... That's a good picture of God's grace, of God's unmerited favor. This is what it means when we talk about the grace of God. So Paul is saying, you cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You cannot win your justification before God. It's provided by God's grace as a free gift. Now that word justified, that comes from the the same Greek root word as the word righteousness. It, it really means to be cl- declared not guilty. When you're justified, you're declared not guilty. You're declared righteous. And it's an act of God's grace. The only way a sinner, that's everybody, can be justified, the only way we can be declared righteous is by the grace of God, by the free gift of God. You can picture it this way. You're in a courtroom and you're on on trial for your life. All the evidence, the proof is against you. There is no question that you're guilty. But the judge rises and he says, I declare you righteous. I declare before this court, before me, the judge, you are not guilty. You're innocent. You're free to go. Because I say you're righteous. Now, do you see a problem with that? If a judge did that in our courts, we would, we would have him recalled, fired, impeached. I don't know what we do to judges, but we'd do something to him. Because declaring the guilty righteous is in fact unrighteous. It's wrong. So the question is, how is God able to do that? How can a righteous God declare an unrighteous people righteous? How can, how can, how can an, a righteous God declare someone who is clearly guilty to be innocent and yet remain righteous himself? And that's what Paul explains. Verse 24. He says, We can be justified, declared righteous by His grace as a gift, but something must take place before that justification. It's not arbitrary. We're justified by His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption. Next word, key word, redemption. We sang about it, now let's, let's get it. That word redemption 
is the Greek, and I'm going to try this, apollolutris. It means to deliver at a, at a cost, to deliver at a cost, to release, set free by payment of a price. Embedded in that, in that word, apolutros, is the word lutron, which means uh, a ransom. The idea of re- redemption is deliverance through the payment of a ransom. When someone is, is kidnapped, this is where we think about the word ransom. A ransom, usually money, is demanded for their release, that they would be set free. So what's the ransom here? What's the payment God requires that we might be set free, that we might be delivered? The answer is, is found uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. The word ransom, same root, same part of the word for redemption, Jesus says that His life, the life of the Son of Man, is the ransom paid in redemption. That's what Paul means when he says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave His life as a ransom so that there could be redemption, release, and deliverance. From what? What are we ransomed from? What are we released from? From our own sin. From our refusal to glorify God. From the wrath of God. Jesus paid the price for our release from sin and guilt and condemnation. This is how God can righteously justify how He can make right the unrighteous. It's all done by Christ. The basis of your justification and mine, the basis of our righteousness before God is not in ourselves. It's not in anything we do. Or say, it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And the question is, what is it about Christ? What did Jesus do? How did He pay that ransom so that, so that we can be justified and redeemed through Him? And the answer comes in verse 25. Romans 3.25. C.E.B. Cranfield, I guess if you use a lot of initials, you're probably pretty important. Called this first the innermost meaning of the cross. I would say it's the dead center. It's the bullseye. It's the heart of the Gospel. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation. That's that's the next word. Don't worry, we're going to talk about it. The reason we can be justified, the reason we can be made right before God, the reason we can be redeemed, saved from our sins, saved from the wrath of God, is because God put forward Jesus Christ as a propitiation by His blood. That word propitiation is, is the key to understanding how you are saved. How you are declared righteous before God. How you in your sinfulness can become righteous before God. That word means to appease or to satisfy. It's related to the, the Old Testament words for, for the mercy seat and atonement. Both meaning a covering. The mercy seat was the covering over the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? The poles, and if you saw the Indiana Jones movie, it's the thing that flies off, you know, that's it. I think they did a good job of actually picturing it there. So, The Ark was kept 
Not in some warehouse in some place. Some place. The ark was kept in the Holy of Holies in the temple. You know, there were different courts in the temples and only certain people could enter. The Holy of Holies, the center piece of the temple. And once a year, only once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And this was a picture of the mercy, of the atonement, of the covering that God would provide by putting Christ forward as a propitiation, as a satisfactory sacrifice, as a covering for our sins. God in His love sent His Son, who offered Himself willingly as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus, on the cross, shed His blood for you and I. And it's that blood of Christ, that sacrificial offering of Christ, that satisfies, that covers, that pays the ransom for God's holy anger against human sin. So how is God's righteousness revealed? How does God remain righteous while at the same time justifying and redeeming sinners? How does God remain righteous while making sinners right before Him? By His gracious gift of Jesus Christ who died in the place of the sinner. Who became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect propitiation, the perfect satisfaction, the perfect covering, who by His death on the cross paid for our sin and satisfied the wrath of God. And therefore, and only therefore, That's the only way we can be justified, declared righteous before God. And because we are declared righteous, we are redeemed. It's now we're righteous. And so God can, we talked about, we sang about God's presence. The only way we can be in the presence of God is because we've been declared righteous before God. He can now have fellowship with us. We can have relationship with God. We can spend eternity with God because we've been justified. We've been declared righteous through Christ. All of this is because of God's grace. And grace alone. It's a free gift from God. There's nothing you, there's nothing I could ever do to earn the righteousness that God provides. Don't try. Don't try. Don't try to earn the righteousness of God. It's silly. It's a... a, it's, I can't think of a better word. It's, a, it's even a put-down of, of Christ's work on the cross saying, it's not good enough. I have to add my own works to it, my own keeping of the law. There's nothing you can do to add to what Christ has done. But, not everyone is declared righteous before God. Because there's a second aspect to how God's righteousness is revealed. We've seen it. We'll continue to see it. God's righteousness is revealed through our faith. We saw it in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's a qualifier. You have to have faith. You have to believe. We receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25. uh, We see all that God by His grace offers is only received by those who put their faith in Him. Whom God put forward as a Christ, by His blood, to be received by faith. And again, in verse 26, we'll see, and so He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. God only justifies. God only declares righteous those who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the Gospel. This is our response to the Gospel. Our only response to the Gospel is is faith. And next week, when we get to uh, verses 27-31, through Paul will use that word faith five more times. He wants to be very clear. We receive justification and redemption only by putting our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ who God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfactory sacrifice to be made right with God. To receive God's righteousness, you must believe that Jesus Christ died in your place. That He took on the the punishment, the wrath of God that you deserve. You must put your faith, your trust in Him alone. We'll talk more about what that means, uh, about the truth of faith next week. But for now, understand that, that we are justified. We're declared righteous by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how God provides righteousness for the unrighteous. That's how God's righteousness is revealed in our lives. But remember, we said that the righteousness of God means two things. It means the righteousness that God provides for those who put their faith in Him. We just looked at that. But it also means God's righteous character. And so the final question, well, actually the second from final question, second to last question, Paul answers is, how is God's righteous character revealed? We've touched on this, but let's make it clear. At the end of verse 25, verse 26, Paul explains how what we've just looked at reveals the righteous character of God. He writes, this, what we just saw, was to show God's righteousness. This, what we saw in verses 24 and 25, that the grace of God, that by the grace of God, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are justified and redeemed through the sacrificial blood of Christ Jesus. This was to show God's righteousness. Now the question is, why does God's righteous character uh, need to be shown? Really need to be defended? And And the answer is, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Paul says God passed over sins. This is, this is seen throughout human history. This is all over Scripture. From the fall, from Adam and Eve in the garden to present day. To present day sins of, of murder and rape and war and lies and lust. Humanity, you and I, we fall short of the glory of God on a daily basis. And throughout history, and even now, God has been doing what David writes in Psalm 103 verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God has been passing over thousands, millions, dare I say billions of sins. He's been forgiving them and letting them go and not punishing them. David experienced this in his own life. After being confronted with his sin, we, 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 we know the story. His sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. And after David confesses his his great sin, the prophet uh, Nathan says to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Just like that. Adultery and murder are put away. They're passed over. And 
and our God-given sense of justice screams out, no, uh, you can't do that. He deserves, David deserves to die or be in prison for life. But Nathan doesn't say that. He says, the Lord has put away your sins. You shall not die. And this is just one example of the billions of sins God passes over. Now let me add, he's not going to pass over them forever. There will be a reckoning. But there are sins in my life, and there are sins in your life, in every life that God passes over. And the question is, how can a holy and righteous God, how can a just God do this? How can He pass over sin? How can He forgive those who deserve punishment and death? The wages of sin is death, Paul will write. But God, in His divine forbearance, His patience, has passed over former sins. God had not and does not immediately punish us for our sin. He allows us to live and continue on. He even allows us to continue in our sin. The problem is, what does this say about God's righteousness? His holiness? His justice? How can a righteous, holy God allow sin to continue? How can a holy, righteous God allow there to be evil? In other words, how can God, as that utterly holy, tolerant, tolerate human sin without inflicting full punishment on human beings immediately? Paul's answer is that God looked forward to the cross. To the cross of Christ where the full payment for guilt of sin would be made. Where Christ would die in the place of sinners. Where there would be a, a propitiation by His blood. Paul emphasizes this in verse 26. He says, it, God's provision of righteousness through Christ was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has demonstrated His righteousness, His holiness, and His justice historically and continually. In the cross of Christ, God has shown Himself to be just, utterly holy, So that the penalty demanded by the law is not passed over, but paid for by Christ. God has shown His righteous character. In that He is both just, sin has been punished, and paid for in Christ, and justifier. Because through Christ, God has provided the means of justification. God Himself declares that those who put their faith in Him to be in right standing before Him. God justifies, He redeems, He saves all who put their faith in Christ. And this demonstrates God's righteous character. And this is at the heart of the Christian faith. This is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is fully revealed at the cross through the death of His Son. At the cross, God's righteousness... God's holiness meets God's righteous provision in Christ. At the cross, God's justice meets God's justification in Christ. At the cross, God's wrath meets God's redemption through Christ. At the cross, God's punishment of sin meets His his love in sending Christ as a sacrifice for our sin. And that's awesome. That's our hope. That's the basis of our salvation. And this has to move us. 
This cannot be, you know, this is a little bit heady, you know, these words and Greek and okay, whatever. But this cannot be, we can't just walk out of here with an academic lesson. Okay, now I understand why I'm saved. End. It must be a heart-transforming lesson about what God did for you and me, what God did for all who put their faith in what He did on the cross. And therefore, the final necessary question for us this morning is this. How will you, how will I respond to the revelation of God's righteousness? The revelation of God's righteousness in your life. How will you respond to the gospel? If you've never heard, if you've, excuse me, if you've never put your faith in, in Christ Jesus, then I would encourage you to put your faith in Christ and to receive the grace of God by trusting in the one who gave himself as a sacrifice for your sin. The one who died in your place, who shed his blood that you might be made righteous before God. Now is the time. When God's righteousness can be revealed in your life. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And once you've done that, then you must, you must live for Christ. You've been justified. You've been redeemed and declared righteous by God. Now live in your justification. Live in your redemption. Seek to live a righteous life before the One who provides your righteousness. There's a reason the Gospel is the revelation of God's righteousness, not just the revelation of God's love. Because we're to continue in righteousness once we receive the righteousness of God. Seek to turn Romans 3.23 on its head. Yes, it's true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it need not continue to be true in the life of those who receive the righteousness of God. God has declared you righteous if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now go forth, and instead of continually falling short of the glory of God, seek to live for the glory of God. Seek to show the world how awesome God is. Seek to make Him the heart and soul of your life the center of your universe. Live for Him and Him alone. Allow the righteousness of God to be revealed in and through your life. Become a a beacon of the righteousness of God for the glory of God. And know this. Know this. Pursuing a righteous life, I'm not talking about legalism, I'm talking about pursuing a life of, of righteousness is not an option to think about. It's not just for certain special Christians. It's the only right response to receiving the righteousness of God. God provides your righteousness through Jesus Christ, and God provides you with the power to live a righteous life through His Holy Spirit. It's the grace of God that saves you, and it's the grace of God that sanctifies you, that allows you to grow in righteousness. But like the grace that saves... The grace that sanctifies, that allows you to move along, to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your righteousness, only comes to those who put their faith in the Lord, who put their faith in Him on a daily basis. God, I trust You. I trust the power of Your Spirit in my life that I might overcome this temptation that keeps assailing me. 
And so in just a minute, I'm going to give you a moment to express this faith in God. I'm going to give you a moment of silent prayer before the Lord. We've done that several times as we worshiped, and we're going to do it, we're going to do it one more time. Maybe you need to begin your prayer with confession. Confessing your sin. Telling God how you've, been li- how you've not been living for Him. How you've been falling short of His glory. How you've been pers- not been pursuing righteousness. How you've been giving in to temptation and sin. So begin with confession. But then I would encourage you to ask God for the strength and the power uh, to live for Him. To break that cycle of, of sin in your life. To allow the righteousness of God to be revealed in and through your life. Confessing your unrighteousness and asking God through His Spirit to empower you to live a, a righteous life. That's what God wants to see. He wants to see transformation in the, in the life of those who put their faith in Him. Not a sinless life but a life that is continually growing in righteousness. A life life that is continually depending on God. A life that when it falls, it gets back up. It confesses and it moves forward in relationship with God. It's continually becoming more like Jesus Christ. Take a moment. Now, go before the Lord in silent prayer, confessing your sin and asking God to give you the power to live in righteousness.